Today we'll be discussing the career of entertainer Selena Gomez, and we'll be discussing lupus. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today we'll be discussing the life and career of singer and actress Selena Gomez. Now, Selena has battled lupus for years, so in our second half, we'll be reviewing this disease. Let the grilling begin. Okay, Ali, so let's talk a bit about Selena Gomez. We each did our own research for this section, talking about Selena Gomez, and watched a recent documentary that she's been in, so we'll talk a bit about that in a second. I wasn't really too familiar with her, I would say, a long time ago, but as my kids got, you know, wet from being, like, babies and toddlers to older kids, they would watch Disney Channel, Wizards of Waverly Place, and then, of Mm -hmm. course, Selena Gomez became this big actress, and we'll talk about her kind of being in only murders in the building which i kind of got more exposed to her how about you what was your kind of exposure to her i don't know why you're using the word exposing to somebody that's inappropriate but i also watched her but didn't know i was watching her if that makes sense like wizards of waverly place was on in the background while i was around a lot so i've seen a lot of young selena gomez without knowing it later I put only put it together. Oh, that's the woman from that kid's show that I was watching. Same thing goes for Ramona and Beezus. Yeah. Which was, uh, you know, we, we, we saw that film. I don't know. Somehow I did not put it together that that's who Selena Gomez was. The kids live alone in a different world. She actually began in 2002 with a show called, it was a television series called Barney and Friends. Did not watch that. Oh, yeah. No, I saw that with the kids. Yeah, of course. I remember okay. her being on that. Yeah, so I think Selena Gomez, if you're a parent in any case, and you're north of 35 or 40, she has been around in your life in some way for quite some time. I, as I said, I don't fully appreciate that, but I know it now. Isn't that nice? Yeah, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think she's more like kind of a pandemic discovery. Also, I think you know by the time she reached her mid-20s is when she was doing sort of more adult things so to speak yeah she did this movie spring breakers uh this kind of controversial movie that was probably like in her early 20s and yeah you know and then again as you said branching into more adult things as she's gotten older i feel weird saying that because her music does not need to be regarded as an adult thing but i don't know do you have some selena gomez songs that you like yeah, I do like a couple of her songs. Again, I would say I heard 90% of these because of my kids, and they would play them. So I like Same Old Love. That's like from 2015, 2016 or so. I really like that. I like Wolves, which is with Marshmallow. Sure. Apparently Marshmallow DJ is a super douche, but Wolves is a great song. And I really like It Ain't Me. That's a really good song. That's probably my favorite song of hers. That's again from like 2016, I think, or so. Before she kind of took this hiatus for health issues, which is a little preview for what we'll be talking about a bit later. What about you? Do you know any of her songs? I like Love You to Love Me. Yeah, that's her biggest hit. I like love. I guess I just like love. And I also like Baila Conmigo, mostly because I like saying 
Baila Conmigo. Well, very interesting. Of course, she did end up releasing a album in Spanish a couple of years ago. But do you know she was named after the Tejano singer Selena? Like Selena, the famous singer who died. She was murdered by yes. her fan club president in 1995. Yeah, I just said yes, like I was excited. I'm not excited that that woman was murdered, but I, again, did not put that together either. Me neither. And she, of course, the role was played by Jennifer Lopez when they made a movie yes. about Selena's life. That's actually what made that story. You know, that story sort of, it was vaguely familiar to me, and then and J-Lo brought that back. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Other interesting facts about Selena Gomez, she was a producer on 13 Reasons Why. And so she tried to make that show as a, a film, and that never got off the ground. So then she just became a producer on that Netflix show, obviously a controversial show because it deals with suicide. But she was a producer on that. She voiced Mavis in all the Hotel Transylvania movies. You've seen all these movies, I'm assuming, Ellie? I haven't. I haven't. What? I know. You have I know. You I know. I have, I I, you know, again, the first one was in the background. I don't think the kids have seen more than the first oh, one. Oh, no. Our, kid, our kids like them. I think okay. they've always had fun with those. And it's like Adam Sandler and his buddies. So it's like they're movie grown-ups, except just as a cartoon. So Really? Uh, yeah, I so had that's no basically, idea. yeah, it's okay. totally fun. It's like David Spade, Rob Schneider, they're all in it, right? Come on, I had no idea. Yeah, so it's fun. It, I mean, I guess they're kind of diminishing returns over time, but I think they're they're fun. And of course, Selena Gomez, I think maybe a lot of people dismiss her as just this teen sensation, now pop star, but I have a lot more respect for her based on, as you said, a couple things that I discovered about her, especially during the pandemic. So first of all, you know, when she was 17, became the youngest UNICEF ambassador of all time. Now later, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things surpassed that, but she was the youngest one. And of course, as time went on, she's kind of branched into other things that I found very interesting. So you've watched Salida and Chef, I believe. I did. You know, that was a, during the pandemic when we were all looking for content. And I was also, you in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe I could create content. Some of our listeners may not know this. I was a chef for many years. I was like, maybe I can film stuff. How would I do this? You know, where would cameras go? And then I watched Selena and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. She did it. Yeah. She was doing it well. She was doing it well. I don't have access to that many cameras, but I was watching sort of the overhead shot on her stove and like an oven shot, <laughs> oven proof cameras. I'm not sure how much those cost. And, you know, a variety of angles. She was doing it sort of socially distant, you know, but also with people in her home. Like she lives in a home yeah, where yeah. she can have people be there and they can like... The size of her home would allow for social distancing. Yeah. Well, let's just go back a sec in case people haven't watched the show. So this was, again, during the pandemic. So a film crew would, you know, deposit cameras at her place. And they would also find a professional chef. These are very famous celebrity chefs. And the chef would be at their house. And they have had a camera set up as well. And the groceries would be delivered to both of them for whatever they were cooking. And they would walk Selena through how to make a certain dish. So the first episode, I think, is her I just make an omelet. You know, just a French omelet. And it's good. And again, as you said, Selena does, I think she lives with some friends or relatives. So there are some other people in the house with her. And they would kind of go through it. Every episode, they would do that. And each each episode would donate $10,000 towards a charity of the chef's choice, often a food-related charity for food insecurity. And 
over two seasons. I think there's going to be four total so far. They raised $360,000. So it's a really fun show. And I, I think you're right. It was kind of a perfect thing because just like we want to get out and not be stuck in our house, you could tell that Selena and these chefs also want to do that. And this was their way yeah. of kind of, you know, communicating. And You were part of their catharsis. I really did feel that, right? Like these chefs are obviously dying inside. Nobody can come and eat in their restaurants. They can't do what they live to do. You know, it's a very few chefs can make a pivot to another career when you invest your complete heart and soul into a restaurant. I thought it was great for viewers also, myself, even though I'm, you know, reasonably well-versed as you are in the world of chefs. There was a few who I met who, through the show that I didn't know, Ludo Lefebvre, for example, I didn't know that. Antonia Lofaso is another chef who I got introduced to. And then there was a few that I know well, Roy Choi, it's fantastic chef. Curtis Stone is like one of the celebrity chefs of the world. Jamie Oliver was on an episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was a lot of fun. And that's so I kind of was noticing her a bit in that. And then, of course, in 2021, in the summer, we got Only Murders in the Building. So this is Steve Martin, Martin Short. And the premiere set a record for the most watched comedy premiere in Hulu history. Again, we always talk about Hulu in Canada. It's available on like Disney Plus. But yeah. I don't know. It's a great show. The genius is in the casting first and foremost. Right now, of course, the show has to be good to continue to get the viewers. And I guess it is. It's on its third season. But, you know, you have a certain age group that's into Steve Martin and Martin Short. It's the same. It's probably 100% overlap. The people mm -hmm. who know one know the other. Mm -hmm. And many of them would not know who Selena Gomez is, but would be, because of Selena's charm on camera, would be, I guess, charmed by her and, and interested. And, and the same goes for Selena. Many Selena fans would be like, I don't know who Steve Martin and Martin Short are, but would be, you know, uh, interested in their dynamic or at the very least amused by it, you assume. But it's a great casting. And, you know, Richard Roper, Ebert, uh, speaking of people who wouldn't know things, this is an older guy, but one of the OGs, Ebert and Roper, what was it? Yeah, so he kind of took over eventually from Gene Siskel with Roger Ebert. Siskel, yes. On exactly. their show, yeah. He's a film critic for the Chicago Sun-Times. He wrote, Gomez is a true co-star in the series, does a superb job of meshing with Martin and Short to form one of the more un entertaining, albeit unlikely friendship trios in recent memory. I thought those words were... Perfect. Exactly. Entertaining, yeah. albeit unlikely, is exactly how it goes. And it's, of course, it's contrived, but they, I don't know, we went with it. Yeah. And we haven't talked a lot about this show on the podcast before, but it is so fun. It's such an enjoyable show. I love it. So the show is a lot of things, right? It's about these three people. Steve Martin plays kind of a washed up actor. Martin Short plays a kind of washed up Broadway producer director. And then Selena Gomez plays a mysterious character. I think that's the best, if you haven't seen it, she's just, just a mysterious person. And there's a murder in their building. They live in a very nice building in New York City. Hey, you're not going to talk about Brazos? Brazos, <laughs> so, so Steve, Steve Martin. Martin plays an aging out of the industry actor who used to have a, his own series. He was a cop named Brazos. And then they're basically trying to solve this murder, but at the same time, they're doing a podcast on it. So it's kind of also a play on Serial and these other true crime podcasts. Anyway, to tell you what happens, because they also are trying to create a show about a murder mystery as well. So they really are trying to solve it, but they're doing the podcast and it's the relationship between the characters. So it's just so well done. It, uh, 
I agree with you. It's some of Steve Martin and Martin Short's best work in years. And there's some seriousness to it, too, but it's just balanced so well. So they're now just started the third season. It came out last month and won't ruin it, but there's some very big guest stars in this season as well. So super impressive, as you said, and as Richard Roper said, I think Selena Gomez meshes perfectly. This is when I was like, yeah, this woman has a lot of talent here, right? Like not just pop star, not just a child actress, really, really impressive. By the way, side note, but related, Only Murders in the Building is one of those shows that is released one week at a time, right? Just like our youth, Asif, when things were, you had to wait a week. And I think that serves a murder mystery very totally. well. That's exactly how that show should be released. So by October, early October, this show will wrap if you want to binge it. But if you get into it now, you'll see, uh, you'll be able to binge half of it at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely a must watch if you guys are looking for a, a good show. If you haven't watched it already, totally fun. But then, Ali, there was something else that I think we've both watched, which is this documentary that came out the end of 2022 on Selena Gomez. Asif is being unnecessarily coy here by saying, I think we both watched. You know we both watched it. We called each other. We told each other to watch it. And now we have decided to not talk about it offline and only discuss it online. So we don't know each other's feelings about the doc. Now, I will tell you one thing before I tell you anything, is that I didn't watch it the way that I probably should have. Meaning that I was looking up, looking down. I heard the entire thing, but I didn't watch with the foot. I have like these, this is a weird thing, but we've talked about this on the show. I was on an episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and there's these cards. I was asked to sign a thousand cards. So I was signing cards while watching this, which means my eyes were not on it. So the directorial choices, I may not be as... By the way, these are like baseball cards, I'm assuming. These are like baseball cards, yes, not not Hallmark. uh, To be sold for thousands, millions of dollars, perhaps. Mm, More like people will pick it up and go, I don't remember this guy. Toss. Actually, that's not true. Star Star Trek fans are very good. They're well known for remembering the smallest details. Well, you should try getting to some of that fan fan, fan expos type of things. Yeah, Star Trek cons. Yeah, you could make some money. How about the money? Probably not. Okay, so you were slightly distracted. I wasn't, but we both watched this documentary. It's called Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me. Came out at the end of 2022. It's on Apple TV Plus, if you guys have that. And it's interestingly directed by this guy named Alec Kashashian. You love some of his past work, right? right? Because he did 1991's Madonna film, Truth or Dare. By the way, Asif Doja, one of the biggest Madonna fans I know, or was anyway. Yeah, and I know some Madonna, like, insane fans. You were up there, but you really love Madonna. Yeah, am I a fan of hers? Not really anymore, but I was back then. So I saw Truth or Dare in the movie theater, (laughs) you know, black and white movie. And it really set the standard for this behind-the-scenes documentary. So it's not just the stage performance. In fact, that's the minimal part of it. And same with this documentary. It's really about the behind the scenes. He kind of set the standard for how these documentaries are made. He has not a lot of work over time, but he did direct one of Selena Gomez's videos several years ago. And because of that, he really connected with Selena Gomez. So he thought, you know, I really want to do this documentary. 
So it's an interesting documentary. It takes place, starts in like 2016, and she's kind of on a tour, and then she cancels the tour due to some of her medical reasons. And then there's a gap of about three years in this documentary, which I didn't really quite realize until I thought about it more, like eh, because it just switches from one to the other. And that's when she had a lot of her medical issues and mental health struggles. And then it's kind of her comeback with her single Lose You Love Me, as Ali mentioned, 2019, and then her kind of comeback album Rare. And it basically goes kind of behind the scenes with this. So... I don't know, Ali, I guess let's talk a bit about what you thought about this documentary. Well, I found it very interesting in that, you know, there would be parts, you would think that Selena Gomez herself would see the final edits and be like, no, I don't think this should be out there. These are deeply private moments making me look like quite a jerk in some circumstances, right? But the whole package put together, I thought, you know, there were many times, you know, I bounced between, and again, you know, I guess spoiler alert, although this is a little older, but you know, you can, you skip ahead a few minutes if you were planning to watch this, but I feel it, it bounced between fluff piece mm-hmm. and then really like good documentary storytelling. It, it bounced between the two of them back. And I don't know if that's because I was half distracted watching it. No, I think he does that on purpose. I think, especially the first 15 minutes or so, just about her. And there are some issues with her being on tour and some stress, but it just seems like a typical thing. And then once she has this this break and then comes back, you're like, what, what is this? Like, I think... A good documentary makes you think it's about something and then actually stealthily you realize it's about something else. Those are the best documentaries. And that's what this, I think, is. In one sense, it's about Selena Gomez having these medical and mental health issues and then coming back after that. That's what it is. But it's really an exploration of her, I think, and what she really sees herself as and what kind of mark she wants to make on the world. And more importantly, perhaps how famous people try to balance these things and maybe they're not really fulfilling what they really, really want to do deep down because of that. And I thought that was very powerful. Like I was so surprised about this again, like uh, all these kind of implied, like I have so much respect for Selena Gomez after watching this documentary, I felt less, maybe I'm just focusing on the more positive things. I got less about, you know, thinking that she looked bad in it. I just, I thought she came off extremely well. I thought she came off as someone who deeply cares about people and would probably prefer to not be this famous person that she is. Right. A hundred percent. And is, you know, reconciling the idea that I am famous. I do have this platform and I can't squander it because this is a way for me to do good. Otherwise, I'd rather just be living in rural Texas doing absolutely nothing, but that would waste the opportunity to do something that I love to do, which is connect with people and help people. And that's, I think the good outweighs the bad. When I say bad, I mean, you know, there's some moments with her and her cousin who's like, you don't seem happy. And she's like, I am happy. Why would you say I'm not happy? And she's saying, I am happy in the least happy tone ever. Well, that's a very interesting point. And so I'm going to get back to this cousin friend. I wasn't quite sure who the people were in this, but there's certainly one woman who's in this a lot. And I I lost track of it was her cousin or her friend or, or both. So a big chunk of this movie takes place in Kenya. She goes there working with the WE organization. You guys might have heard about the WE organization. Which also, if you know what happened to the WE organization, you are wondering as a viewer, will that be addressed in this documentary? 
It is. It's a Canadian charity that was started by a couple of Canadian guys. And then, of course, they ran into some trouble a couple of years ago because it seemed like they were getting preferential treatment from the uh, Trudeau government in Canada. And it was a relatively big scandal for the government of Canada as well as the WE organization. So we'll get back to that in a second. But before this scandal, she was going to Kenya, meeting with some of the people who were getting education there, some young adults and, ch- and kids who were getting education there because of the efforts of the WE organization, which Selena Gomez supported. And that you see her just so happy to be interacting with these people. She really gets so much out of it. And she says to this friend slash cousin, and she says, you know, I think I just want to stay here. Like, why can't I stay here? And then the friend cousin is like, well, that's not reality. That's not reality. Reality's back home. This isn't reality. And I thought, what an insane concept that that person is trying to convince Selena Gomez of, that that's not reality. Of course it's reality. Selena Gomez is right. This is real life. Helping people, trying to be a philanthropist, trying to help... and. Everything back at home with the makeup and the fake interviews, and they go into a lot of that about how much she hates doing these superficial interviews, people talking about Justin Bieber all the time and Hailey Bieber and all this garbage. This is the real stuff. The fact that she's trying to be convinced that that's not real life, it blew my mind. And that's when she's getting angry at that person saying, you know, you don't seem happy. Yeah, of course she's not happy because now she's back in North America and Europe doing all these things. Of course Selena's not happy. She was happy. And, you know, you have to always, this is why I'm saying this documentary is way more than what you think it's about. It's about who you take advice from in life. And I tell people this all the time. People give you advice all the time, but you need to think about, especially when it comes to like workplace advice or your career, who's the person giving you advice? Lots of people work for me. I'm the head of neurology. So I have people who work for me and I certainly give them career advice, but they should always be thinking well, is Asif giving me this advice because it's what's best for me or is what's best for the division of neurology and my hospital and my university, right? People always have this ulterior motive. And I'm not saying I don't. Everybody has that. So this person is trying to convince Selena Gomez, well, you can't stay in Africa. You need to go back home. Why are they saying that? This is because this cousin slash friend gets to travel all over the world in private jets and super expensive hotels. And to just support Selena Gomez. And that would all dry up. if Selena Gomez could easily take all her money, move to Africa, and just help these people for the rest of her life, right? She could easily do that. And in one sense, she seems to want to do that. But on the other hand, she gets seems to be pulled back. So that's what I really got from this, is this conflict that she has. Well, that is a very extended remix version of saying something I was going to say. I, I enjoyed all of that, Asif, and enjoyed hearing your really your passion on that. But I was just going to say... In that moment, I was like, you know, a much more sarcastic version. She was like, reality is where, you know, back home. I was like, oh yeah, reality is where you make your commission. That's where reality totally. is, right? For the, totally. that, That's in, in summary, I would say that because this is somebody who's on payroll. They're not just exactly. traveling the world. They're also a manager or, you know, they have some title and they get a, a percentage and they know that there's no percentage to be made if Selena is in. And so her concession is like, we'll come here quarterly. We'll come here quarterly. quarterly. And then, of course, back home, nobody wants that. Like, I really have a lot of empathy for Selena Gomez. And of course, you see her, she goes back to her old high school and she goes back and visits some people from her old neighborhood. And when you see it, she's such a genuine person. Like, she's, you can sometimes tell when people are putting this on for the documentary crew. I really didn't think she was. I think she genuinely, you know, enjoyed doing that. 
it meant a lot to her. So I really did like this documentary. I, I agree. There are a few stylistic things that I think there's some with her voiceover and stuff, which I thought they probably could have left out. But I thought it was really well done, and I would suggest people check it out. My biggest takeaway, just before we wrap this up also, is uh, something I actually wanted to ask you. You know, you're a child star, so you have just everything has been kind of like handed to you and you've been coddled. That's the nature of being a child star. Things are brought to you at all times. Make sure the star is doing okay, right? So that's your reality. As you start to be more independent, I think it's more of a struggle for kids who were child stars than it is for a normal kid, right? Because you are so far away from actual independence. You're really so removed from it for so long. And I felt the struggle of that. And I also felt the struggle of like how hard it must be to stay sane. And part of me wanted to ask you, can a situation like that lead to the anxiety that she has and, oh, and, and maybe even bipolar disorder and, and depression, this constant paparazzi chasing you every time you get out, you're trying to move forward. And it's like, what about Justin? Justin has a girlfriend. How do you feel about that, Selena? Hey, where's the money or something like when it was the Wii scandal? I don't Paparazzi exists just to be complete pieces of trash. Like that's what they do. They're creating trashy news for people who love the trash. And I just saw that and they only showed us like three or four clips of that. But that's every single time she steps out of a car, every time she goes into her apartment. In the documentary, it's designed to be anxiety-provoking because it is. Could you imagine living? Oh, my God. I felt so much empathy for her. So I think it's a combination of things. So this is a, a good segue in terms of what you're talking about. So if we look back at her medical history, she was diagnosed with lupus sometime between 2012 and 2014. And she confirmed this diagnosis in 2015. So that's when she kind of went public with it. Okay. She was still touring and she canceled, as we talked about in 2016, her European and South American legs of her tour because of anxiety, panic attacks, and depression caused by her lupus. So we'll talk a bit a bit about the neuropsychiatric features of lupus, but you can imagine just living with this chronic disease and you know how that affects your life may have exacerbated that. So I think that have her having the disease, some of the what we call neuropsychiatric manifestations of the disease, plus the situation that she was in. Like it just seems overwhelming for me. It'd be overwhelming for us. And we're not, well, you're famous. I'm not famous, but you know what I mean? Hey, man, I'm not the one signing Star Trek cards. Oh, today. that's true. And then, you know, for the lupus, in 2017, she revealed on Instagram that she had a kidney transplant that was donated by one of her friends named uh, Francia Reza. And she had a complication during it where an artery broke and they need to do a graft. And then eventually in 2020, she revealed she had bipolar disorder. And that's part of the documentary as well. So the bipolar, I don't think is related necessarily to the lupus. I think that might be a separate sort of thing. And she even had an episode of psychosis in 2018. Again, this was when she had this break between like 2016, 2019. So through a three year kind of break, she had an episode of psychosis. And when you hear about that in the documentary, they they don't go into as much detail as maybe they should. But again, it's her private medical stuff. But when you that's when you hear from her family about how she was psychotic, she said horrible things to her family. She was you know completely not in touch with reality, and then she kind of got treatment and 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 that improved. So the question again is how much this relates to the lupus and how these things are interconnected. 
And you also have, you know, people online constantly feeding. She already has, you know, issues with her sense of self-worth, as she, she very publicly says. She never feels like she's good enough. And you've got this team of people and, and, and your loved ones. Forget about the team. You've got loved ones reminding her, you were great. The things you're worried about, nobody else sees those. Nobody, you did an excellent job at A, B, C, whatever, the variety of things. Your performances, your interviews, all these things were great. So then you have people who are also feeding into, you know, her negative thoughts, right? She was saying that she had, I think it was 100 million followers on Instagram at one point. I, I don't think that's from the documentary, but she had 100 million followers. And her, her quote is that she just kind of, freaked out. The hundred million followers just made her like, oh my God, this is unreal. And she she took a, a long break from social media and, and a lot of it had to do with the negative comments, right? Out of a hundred million people. That could be, you know, you take 10% and that's 10 million negative comments is an insane amount but of negativity. She says, and, and I know you can relate to this, Ali, I'm sure. She says if she's in her concert hall, like an arena or a stadium, she will focus on the one person who's not having a good time. I heard that. and Which I, is so. crazy because I know you. that happens with comics, right? It does. You'll never be a happy person if you just let that be part of your personality forever. That's something that, you know, it's almost, it's an interesting thing. If, if I meet a comedian who doesn't do that, if they're a young comic and they're like, oh, yeah, these people didn't like the show, but I don't care about them. You're like, oh, what kind of sociopath yeah, are narcissist, you? narcissist, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? You're tuned off from that. But it is a journey of just being like, that's fine. These people don't like the show. And I've also seen sometimes people address, you know, like in their confidence and insecurity, that, that delicate balance of both. They go, you know what? I'm going to ask these people what's going on with them. And I can make it funny. And then those people go, uh, you're not funny. And they say it in a public forum in front of a bunch of other people. Hey, how come you guys aren't laughing? And I've seen, you know, well, I'm just waiting for the jokes to start. And it's like, wow. So then, you you know, those help a guy like me who's like trying to wrestle with focusing on the people who are not laughing. What I would do is just quickly look at somebody and go, that person didn't like that joke. And that's it, right? This person's not happy. That's it. There's just a quick mention. It helps me deal with it and move on. And I've addressed it. And now I don't have to dwell on it. But yeah, that's a journey of your own kind of, you know, way of mentally processing this, what you perceive as this negativity out there. So I definitely connected with that moment. And it made me, you know, deeply sad that even at that level, at Selena Gomez's level, you're still at risk of thinking about who's not enjoying themselves. I mean, they paid to be, come to the concert. They're here. Come on, you won. Anyway. So we've already begun talking about her health issues. We've made a clean break now into the health part of this podcast. We're focusing on lupus, but as you said, there are a number of different conditions that she's come public with. And I wonder, you know, how much of it affects, does one make the lupus worse? Has the lupus led to these other conditions happening and how are they all managed in tandem? But let's start with what is lupus? It's, I had one friend in high school whose mother had lupus and it was just like, 
this word akin to, you know, leprosy. It was like, what? I mean, what is that? What, who has that? Nobody has that. And for another 15 years, never heard the word. And now it seems like, God, like, it seems like lupus is having a moment or something. And that's not a good thing at all, right? It's because I'm sure you're going to tell me we don't know why and we oh, don't know on. how to okay i'll <laughs> let you get the... to it sorry <laughs> so burying the lead here that's the worst lead ever you're absolutely right and i think as time goes on we end up knowing more and more people in our lives who have lupus uh, you know i certainly do and yeah lupus is two things it is difficult to diagnose and in medicine it's the great mimicker in other words if someone comes in all medical students know this if someone comes in with any sort of problem if you say, oh, it could be lupus, you're correct. doesn't matter. Oh, they have joint pain. Could be lupus. Oh, they have a rash. Could be lupus. Oh, my gosh. They have psychiatric features like psychosis, like Selena Gomez had. Oh, it could be lupus. It could. You're correct on the could. That's what I was going to say. The could part is correct. It always is. Yeah, yeah. It need not be lupus. It need not be lupus, but it could always be. And so it needs to always be thought about in medicine. It doesn't always occur. So it, it occurs in about 300,000 people in the U.S., and it's twice as prevalent in black persons as white persons. I think females, right? Ten times more common in females. Oh, boy. Exactly. So, okay. again, very, very disproportionate. And so that would kind of lead you to, some, uh, to think that it could be. So obviously, if it's a woman, it could lead you to think of that. But again, don't discount. It does occur in men as well. Right. We're getting to, you know, who has it and how much of it is prevalent in society. But what is it at its core? What is it? Lupus. It sounds like Lupin. It sounds like the word wolf. Yeah. And I think some people said, oh, it's like a werewolf or something like that. But I don't think that's actually true. But it was attributed, this word, to a 13th century physician named Rogerius. And it was described these facial lesions that people have. And he thought it was reminiscent of someone being bitten by a wolf. Oh, my so God. That, that is, and of course, we'll talk about those lesions in just one second. So it is an autoimmune condition. So we've talked about autoimmune conditions. So this is when basically your body makes an error and instead of attacking a foreign, not foreigners, like something foreign to your body, I mean, you know, your body's not racist. So get those foreigners out. <laughs> so uh, your body so says. Like, instead of attacking a virus or bacteria, it makes a mistake and attacks your body. And because of this, lupus is one, we've talked about some autoimmune diseases that just, say, affect the brain, but lupus is one that can affect any single organ system. So as we talked about, skin, joints, your brain, and other organs, and for Selena Gomez, it was her kidneys. So it can really affect all of those things. In terms of why someone develops this autoimmune disease, right, we don't know the answer to that. There is a suggestion there's a strong genetic correlation. So, for example, if you take identical twins, right, so identical twins will have the exact same DNA. That's what an identical twin is. So if they have a genetic disease, a purely genetic disease, the rate of them, they should each have a 100% chance of developing that disease, right? If it's not genetic, then they should have the baseline population chance of developing a disease if one of them has it, right? And in identical twins for lupus, it's 50% chance. So that what does that mean? It means there is some heritability involved in lupus, though we don't have a gene that we can necessarily test for, okay? So what happens is you get this 
they think that you're genetically susceptible for reasons we don't know. And then some sort of environmental factors will lead to this activation of this autoimmune process. And I won't get into details of all the different pathways that are involved on a biochemical level to develop this damage. But one thing that's very common in lupus is vasculitis. We've talked about vasculitis on a separate episode. This is inflammation of blood vessels. So lupus can be a cause of vasculitis. And this involvement of blood vessels, as we talked about in the past, but we have blood vessels in every single part of our body because we're talking about the microscopic blood vessels that supply our skin, our brain, our kidneys, etc. So again, that's how it can cause all these issues. So if you know somebody with lupus, you don't necessarily know what lupus does because every person could have a completely different and, and i'm thinking because i do have a friend who has lupus and i remember lethargy was a huge part of it there were huh. days where she was yeah. completely exactly just wiped they say out up to 90 percent of people will have fatigue as a symptom oh so that's a yeah. very common yeah yeah, okay. yeah so you're absolutely right so let's talk about some of these symptoms yeah that's it's a perfect segue ali so 90% of people will have what are called constitutional symptoms. That's what you were talking about. Fatigue, weight loss, a fever, but you don't have an infection. Again, but those could be nonspecific, right? You might think, okay, they, they have an illness, they have mono, they have something like that, right? Or COVID these days, but then you end up having to look into the possibility of lupus. So those are pretty common. Then another very common thing we see is skin findings. They have what's called a discoid rash. So it's a rash that looks like these discs, a circular rash, which can be very specific. They also get what's called a malar rash. A malar rash is kind of on your cheeks, underneath your eyes, and they get photosensitivity. So sun-exposed areas can develop a lot of these skin findings. Now, there is a very famous singer who I actually just learned that this is the reason why they have these scars. They have scars in their face, and it's because of lupus and this rash they have on their face. This is what the Rogerius was saying, these scars on your face, it looks like a wolf bite. This singer has been kissed by a rose, Ellie. I don't know if he was kissed by a rose, but we went on seal. So I actually didn't know that was the reason for seal's scars on his face. I found that out the other day. So... Those are the common skin findings. You can have other ones as well, but those are the common ones. And then you can have a bunch of other symptoms. So you can have joint pain, right? That occurs in about 95% of people over the course of their life. You can have a blood problem. Can I just ask that joint pain is different from rheumatoid arthritis or does this go back to the mimicking? Is it That's very a really good to... point. And it can be different or it can look similar or you can have an overlap syndrome. So this is a little medical thing that occurs in the documentary. Selena gets a call from her rheumatologist, I'm assuming it was her rheumatologist, who says, yeah, your rheumatoid factor came back as positive, okay? yeah, which, we see, that, which yeah. we see in rheumatoid arthritis. And I believe your mother had rheumatoid arthritis. Exactly. Right? That's yeah, why so my ears are some, uh, in tune with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some background on this. And so she kind of has an overlap disease with some features of lupus and some features of rheumatoid arthritis. And that's why he suggested a certain treatment for her to get an IV treatment because he thought it would help. And we should get back to that treatment yeah, at some for sure, point for too, sure. because yeah. that was So uh, I will get back to that in a second, exactly. But I was thinking you could have blood problems with your blood counts, and of course the kidney problems, which we've talked about. You could have heart issues, lung issues, you could be predisposed to having lung issues, and of course these neuropsychiatric symptoms. So that's where we get into, you know, how much of her psychiatric issues were from lupus or not, right? And 
It is a bit hard to know. We know that patients who have unexplained seizures, unexplained psychosis, unexplained behavior change, you need to think about lupus in those people. So I definitely think her episode of psychosis, if I had to guess, again, I don't know, I would think that may be more related to her lupus and trying to get her lupus under control. I'm not quite sure about her bipolar. I don't think that's related. And the anxiety depression is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Again, what is related to the lupus and what is a consequence of her you know, having an illness, all these pressures that we mentioned that they outlined in the documentary. So I'm not sure. And even when we're seeing patients, you know, we often get consulted as neurologists, you know, do you think this patient has what we call CNS or central nervous system lupus? Sometimes it can be very difficult to figure out exactly what's going on in these patients. And I'll just mention one other symptom that people have is, unfortunately, women with lupus have an increased risk of spontaneous abortions, stillbirths, and fetal problems. And pregnancy can sometimes increase disease activity, and you can have a disease flare during lupus, whereas some other autoimmune diseases, you actually have improvement when you're pregnant. And so it can be difficult, and people who have, unfortunately, have pregnancy losses, sometimes that can be due to lupus as well. So you can see why family doctors and specialists like general internists have to always be thinking about this because it really could have any kind of symptom. And you have to think about, well, is it possible that this is lupus in this patient? It's interesting too, that you would hope that somebody who has lupus, which results in kidney issues, they have a kidney transplant and that takes care of lupus. Clearly, that's not the no, case. No, because it takes care of the kidney problems with the lupus. And the kidney issues in lupus are very complicated. Lupus is a complicated disease, and I'm simplifying things immensely for this conversation. And the kidney issues, again, you really what happens if you see kidney involvement, you really need a biopsy of your kidney to see exactly where the issue is, what the issue is, and then they'll talk about treatment. But at the end stage, you end up needing a kidney transplant. But you still have lupus. It's crazy. You're talking about end stage, but she was in her mid to late 20s at the time, right? That's mm. So a mimicker, hard to diagnose as well. Is there a way to test for a sort of 100% like, oh, this is definitely <laughs> yeah, a lupus? No, that's probably. a good question. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't prepare this. So yeah, there is a test called an anti-nuclear antibody or an ANA test. Okay. So this test is what's called sensitive, but not specific. Okay. This is a way we can measure tests. A sensitive test mean that if you have lupus, it will most likely be positive. In 94% of patients, it will be positive, okay? So it's a good screening test if you suspect someone has lupus because if they have lupus, almost, you know, like we said, 94% chance this test will come back positive. But it can also be seen in a lot of other diseases. So it has low specificity. So in other words, just because you have a positive, you could have a false positive, and we know that that's common. So in other words, if you do this test, this ANA, and it's negative, you can be pretty confident you don't have lupus. If it's positive, it doesn't mean you have lupus. Okay, so hopefully I explained that well. What else can cause it to be high? There's other kind of uh, rheumatologic problems. Rheumatoid arthritis, for example, could be one of those. So there's other things. So, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But the idea is, if that's positive, right, then you would check for other organ involvement. So you check the kidney function to see whether there's any problems with the kidneys. You'd check their heart. You'd kind of do all these things to see if there's any other involvement. And there's more specific antibodies that you can test after that that can help you narrow in on a diagnosis of lupus. So again, you look clinically to see, do they have any of these many types of symptoms you could have? then you would do an ANA. If that's positive, then you can go down a pathway of trying to definitively rule out the diagnosis. 
So there's obviously no cure for this. If there was somebody with Selena Gomez's finances and resources would have found it. That's always the big takeaway for me. It's like somebody with everything available to them is still struggling so much. It's makes me think of sort of, you know, the common person who has lupus. It must be pretty devastating to a family. Is there a way to manage lupus that's been reliable for most people or how do you usually treat it? The research is ongoing and there's always newer treatments coming out, which is good. There's definitely more treatments now than there were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. So the idea for treating lupus, you want to prevent organ damage and try and achieve remission of symptoms, okay? So the choice of which medications you use depends about which organs are involved, how severe things are. If you have minimal symptoms, maybe you don't need a lot of treatment. So maybe just NSAIDs, so what we say non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, so like naproxen, ibuprofen, then that's all you need to do. There's also some evidence for using anti-malarials. So like in the last century, they somehow discovered that using anti-malarials, this is when there were big malaria outbreaks, they realized that it actually helps lupus. And so you can use these anti-malarial drugs and they actually help lupus. So those are more minor treatments. You're not talking about the canine pill. Yes, I'm talking about like hydroxychloroquine, which is, you know, in that family. And that's one that's used. And, And we actually know it actually modulates your immune system. That's actually how it works in lupus. It just seemed like it was just a coincidence that people were using for malaria and found out this. So you can use those or you could do just simple things like protecting yourself from sun exposure, like we talked about in terms of the skin fighting. So you're supposed to wear loose fitting clothing and use sunscreen that blocks UVA and UVB light. So that's another thing people do. But of course, you can progress to more and more intensive treatment. So we talk about immunosuppressive drugs. We've talked about corticosteroids in the past to suppress the immune system. So that can be used. There's other immune suppressive medicines. And then there's more heavy duty medicines that are essentially chemotherapy type medicines that you could use. And now there are what we call disease-modifying medications. And these ones target various areas of an immune system and the immune activation and try and kind of tamper that down. So let's just get back to that phone call from her rheumatologist, Selena's rheumatologist called. And there's a shot, an injection that works for a full year. Is that something yeah. that's Yeah, so that was an infusion he was to... talking about. Yeah, that is readily available. It's called rituximab. He called it rituxan, which is the kind of the, the brand name. And so what that does is, I'll try to simplify it. Basically, this is one of these disease-modifying agents that essentially keeps down some very specific areas of the immune system and decrease the production of certain antibodies. So individuals can have different responses to this. Sometimes within like weeks or months, your immune system will ramp back up. Other times you'll have a prolonged response. My understanding from what he was saying is she's had this before and based on her response, her immune system is suppressed. These specific areas of her immune system are suppressed for a year or so. So he, I think, was based that on his previous experience with Selena Gomez. So he's like, we found this, you're having a flare up, let's do this rituximab and kind of keep things down. And he was predicting at least a year of, and you can do follow up blood tests to make sure that you're still suppressed from that medication. But it is good. It does have side effects, as Selena Gomez was saying, but we use it a lot of other diseases. We use it in some neurologic diseases and it works quite well. 
so that's our episode for today. Let us know what you guys thought about Selena Gomez. Very curious if you guys watched that documentary and what you guys think about it. I think it's definitely worth a watch. Would you agree, Ellie? I do think so. You know, even I kind of needed your backup on this because, as I said, I didn't watch it with the focus that I normally give something on television. I'm a very poor multitasker. But I did find it very interesting. And, and I think you said it best that it is a documentary that challenges you a little bit. Because you think this person is one way and then they're actually a different way and things sort of, you know, reveal themselves throughout. I really, I did think it was well done. And let us know what you thought about our talk about lupus. There are lots of other side things that kind of came out. We could always talk about kidney transplants in the future or other organ transplants. And then we also talked about bipolar. We talked about anxiety, depression. These are all topics that we should delve into more on future episodes. So let us know if you want to hear more about that. DrVComedian at gmail.com. DrVComedian on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are everywhere. Ellie, anything else you got going on this fall? Yeah, so we are filming Run the Burbs season three of the sitcom. It's on CBC in Canada. It's on the CW in the US. But that also keeps me locally bound to the city of Toronto. So if you look at my website, standupali.com, I'm doing a number of things, interesting stuff in, in October in Toronto, hosting a gala event for the Trillium Health Network, Accent on Toronto. I'm hosting that at uh, Danforth Music Hall comedy show. And also I'm hosting something called the Taste Canada Award Galas for people who are, are food lovers. Look up tastecanada.org, mm. I believe, and you'll see, you know, these are awards for food writing and the best cookbooks and best books about food. So yeah, look that up, check it out. Very cool. And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues, we talk about it for your interest and information only, but they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. I've been running through the jungle. I've been-